Out of the ashes you will rise. If you feel sad, lost, depressed, finances are in the gutter, social life, you're lonely. Out of the ashes you will rise. Here in my garage, invest in yourself. Always be curious. Don't be a cynic. Sleeping on a couch in a mobile home with only $47 in my bank account. When everything's burnt to the ground, when you're sad, lost, and depressed, and everything's at rock bottom, you get to rebuild the exact and precise way you want the damn thing rebuilt. Health, wealth, love, happiness, each of these four goals. In case you missed the last episode, make sure you go back and check it out. Here's what went down. There's no such thing as a get-rich-quick scheme that's real. It took me a long time to get here, and I tell people, pick your own rewards. But I think the reason that people procrastinate, which is the number one reason people don't get what they want in life, is because they don't know how to reward themselves. For some people, it might be a Lamborghini. For some people, it's a nice house. For other people, it's traveling. As long as they're getting there ethically, the world's going to be a better place, man coming up today. So instead of beating yourself up and saying, man, I just need to try harder and be better. What I just learned, it's one of my weaknesses. You can't be good at everything. And it's fine to just be like, you know what? That's not my strength. Okay, welcome everybody. I've just recorded, this is kind of a special talk that I did, but I wanted to share with you. An old friend of mine, um, asked me to do a call. She has like a, a group of four or five women. They do, a, I think, a monthly or a weekly call on just to motivate themselves and try to be successful and all that. So she asked me if I would be their guest speaker. So I said yes, and I asked if I could record it. So this is the recorded answer, uh, the recorded call. I thought it might be helpful to post it for you. So here it is. Try to share my thoughts on how to become the best version of yourself. So um, it's it's an interesting subject because a lot of people, if you if you do self help, you read self help books or go to self help conferences. There's a lot of conversation about authenticity and being the best version of yourself. And I, you know, I have mixed feelings about it because it's kind of like talking about God. It's very complicated because when you say the word God, everyone has a different interpretation. If you say God to a Muslim, you're gonna, they're going to think of Allah. If you talk about God to a uh, you know, Christian, they talk about Jesus. If you talk about God to an atheist, they think about the Big Bang and science. And this, with authenticity, there's many different understandings of what that is. So I'll try to share my own version or what I think uh, I, I, I aspire to do, and uh, no one's perfect at it. But a little on my background, um, I've been an entrepreneur since I was 19 in some form or fashion, and uh, had some successes, some failures, like most entrepreneurs. Now a lot of people see me doing social media. That's kind of you know evolved as the new entrepreneurial way to get your message out there. So I do a lot of social media, got a pretty big, got a couple million Instagram followers. And I, I reach about, I think I just passed a billion minutes watched on my YouTube and Facebook in the last mm, one or two years. So I've got, uh, it's been interesting because when you, when you reach a lot of people, 
you get a lot of people's opinion coming back at you. Some people love me. Some people hate me. Some people uh, aren't sure about me. I did a survey and 50% of people aren't sure if I'm in the Illuminati or not. So, (laughs) um, yeah. Anyway, um, so what I've found in terms of authenticity. So it's very interesting because first of all, one of the problems with the conversation authenticity is people change, but at the same time, people don't change. So one of my mentors, I think the most important thing I've ever done in life is get a lot of mentors. So when I was 19, I had my first mentor, Joel Salatin. I lived on his farm for about 18 months and he really, I was a city kid. I hadn't learned a lot about practical stuff and there's nothing better to learn about practical stuff than a farm. So I spent about a year and a half there and then I lived with the Amish for about two, a little over two years. So I really went back to basics on like life, you know, it didn't have electricity at the Amish, just had horses and, you know, candles and went to bed early and woke up early. And so now, of course, I live like way more modern life in Beverly Hills and Hollywood. And what I've learned is that you will change part of you, you can change and part of you, you can't. So when it comes to being authentic, you have to remember that. And it's very confusing for some people because, for example, if you're a shy person, a lot of shy people I meet don't like that they're shy. So they say, Ty, I want to become the best version of myself. I want to become, you know, a great public speaker. I want to become a great socializer. I want to be great at business networking. And part of me wants to say, okay, that's great. Everybody should learn the skill of public speaking. Everybody should have that. But there's another part of me that says, you are what you are and you gotta build on your strengths. So I'd say, I'll kind of give you a list. The number one thing that I learned from my mentors and I've learned from life is from a guy named Peter Drucker. He's a famous business teacher and he wrote a book called Managing Oneself. And he says, number one, you can only build on your strengths. So yes, if you are shy, it is good to learn public speaking because everybody needs that skill. But you probably don't wanna be become a full-time professional public speaker if you're naturally shy, because it's not building on your natural strengths. Now, some people will disagree with me, but if you look at almost all great public speakers, there's always some exceptions. Most of them are somewhat extroverted people. Now, they might've learned to become a little more extroverted, but if you look at very shy people, they can become very powerful people too when they build on their strengths. For example, Steve Jobs, the man who started Apple, um, who founded Apple, which is now the biggest company in history. It's over $700 billion company. It's almost a trillion dollar company. It's insane. He's dead, of course, but he said he was a very shy person. He had to learn to do some public speaking because He had to be the face of the company, but most of the time he was behind the scenes. Same with Bill Gates. He was, he never tried to become a very, very extroverted person. He learned to be somewhat uh, able to speak, but for the most part, he was behind the scenes and they were some of the most important people in the world. Mark Zuckerberg, who founded Facebook. Again, if you see him speak, he's not, he's kind of awkward. He's not really a super socialite person. But yet he's built one of the most important companies. You know, Facebook has over a billion people using it every uh, whatever, every year. So 
you can, no matter what you are, and you're trying to become the best version of yourself, you don't have to change that much. If you're naturally shy, you can build on your ability to be able to be behind the scenes and you can do something very important in life and you can make a lot of money and you can be very successful without trying to become somebody else. So that's, that's, uh, so that's number one. You got to build on strength. Number two thing is that very few people actually know their strengths. So Peter Drucker says in the first couple of pages of his book, Managing Oneself, he says, um, most people think they know what they're strengths are, but most people are wrong. Okay. So if you walk down the street and you ask the average person their strengths, a lot of us do what's called projection. We project what we wish we would be strong at. So a lot of times when I meet somebody, for example, who's very disorganized, actually, here's a good example. Whenever you meet somebody who's sensitive, right? Okay. Very, very rarely will they admit it. If you say, hey, you're really sensitive, they'll be like, no, I'm not. They'll actually be sensitive about being sensitive. It's kind of funny. But what I say to them is, what's wrong with being sensitive? You can build, like the best psychologists in the world are sensitive. The best doctors in the world have to have sensitivity. The best, um, even business people, the best marketers are sensitive because they know how to read people. But yet people don't want to acknowledge their strengths because society oftentimes makes us feel guilty for our strengths. So like I said, if you're a sensitive person, a lot of times society will tell you, oh, you got to be tough, blah, blah, blah. But the society is speaking in generalizations and generalizations are almost always wrong. So you got to admit what you naturally are. And one of the things that I tell people, a couple practical things. Number one, go back to when you were very young before society really influenced you, when you were, let's say, under 10 years old, what did people say about you? Like for me, when I was very young, it's funny, talking to my grandma, she just turned 99 years old. So my grandma said to me, she said, Ty, I re-, and this is just last week, I was down in San Diego, she said, Ty, I remember when you were about mm, three years old, you used to sit on the couch and be like, Grandma, bring me more books. So for whatever reason, I've always been fascinated by books. And one of the things that I do a lot on social media and what's made me popular on social media is I talk a lot about books. I did a TEDx talk that's like the number 15 you know, TEDx of all time. And it's me just talking about books. So, But it's funny, not all my life did I see that as a strength because some people will tell you, Society will tell you, oh, you're just reading too much. You need to take action. You're just book smart. You're not actually street smart. And there's some truth to that. But the truth is it was one of my strengths from a young age that I was able to collect information and remember it. And so in my life, when I finally acknowledged that strength and didn't try to hide it, I was saying that even from a little kid – I like to read it, but society made me feel guilty for that. When I finally said, forget what society says, this is something that's been with me from before I was age 10 years old, and I started building on that, it really helped skyrocket my success. So for each of you, you have to think, when I was 10 years old, what did people used to compliment me on? 
Now, for some people, you know, you were complimented on being a good student. From some people, you were complimented on being athletic or being pretty or whatever uh, it might be. But that's a good hint as to what you should build your life around. It's not perfect. Sometimes it's wrong. But for the most part, if you collect information from multiple people, not just one, not your mom or your dad, but think back, that is a good sign of success Another or, or of strength. Another thing that will help you know what your strong, what your strengths are, another kind of way to find a hint so you can build around it is make a list of all the goals you've had in the last 18 months. So just think of – because. If you're like me, you got a lot of plans. So you've been planning stuff. So think back for the last 18 months what you have planned to accomplish. Then be very honest which things actually were accomplished and which things did you procrastinate on and not do. Almost always the things that you actually accomplish, those are your strengths. And the things that uh, – you made plans but weren't able to do, those are probably your weaknesses. I remember, for example, one time in my life, I decided I want to be really good at languages. I want to be able to speak seven languages or something. So I, you know, my goal for the next 18 months was, Ty, I remember I, I got a book on how to speak Russian. So I was like, I'm going to learn languages. And um, 18 months later, I looked back I did not, I can't even speak more than three words of Russian to this day. And so you can either say, oh, well, I just need to try harder. Or you can say, well, maybe that's just not a strength. And as I look back, I realize I'm not that good at learning languages. I have a friend. He's so good at learning language. He goes to, I went to India for two months and India, some of the Indian languages are so hard to learn. There's a language called Telugu. It's one of the hardest languages. It has a different alphabet. It's the crazy. I remember one phrase, Mimulanu Premini Chuchunadu. That's how that language sounds. So after two months of being there, that's the only. But my friend, he literally learned, he could speak it almost fluently, not fully fluently, but very well in two months. So instead of beating yourself up and saying, oh, man, I just need to try harder and be better at language, what I just learned, it's one of my weaknesses. You can't be good at everything. And it's fine to just be like, you know what? That's not my strength. So now I, of course, want to learn. You know, I speak Spanish and I speak a little bit, but I don't make it a big priority in my life. And I let other people have strengths. And what happens, and this is the third thing, point number three, what you can do because you need to have strengths around you, you can surround yourself with people who complement your weaknesses. So instead of you trying to be perfect at everything, a great public speaker, extroverted, never procrastinating, you know, very organized, blah, 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 you can surround yourself with people who complement your weaknesses. And if you do it right, it'll be a win-win situation. Because for example, I have a lot of shy people who are around me. Why? I'm not that shy. So they like to be around me because when we go somewhere, if it was just them, they would never leave the house. Well, with me, I get them out doing things. They get, you know, they get exposed to new things they would never do on their own. But on the flip side, when I spend time around them, sometimes I'm too extroverted. I start doing too much activities. 
So by being around them, sometimes they help me relax and stay at home. So it becomes a win-win situation. And when it comes to dating, when it comes to business partners, you can't be good at everything. So surround people, oh, yourself with people who in some ways are your opposites. One of my mentors, Alan Nation, said, never marry somebody who's just like you, Ty. He goes, it will never work out. If you marry somebody who's exactly personality just like you, you're going to just, you know, where's the benefit there? The benefit needs to be where you guys complement each other. So number three, the way you get around having weaknesses is you surround yourself with other people. And I do that in business. You know, I'm a, I'm a kind of business guy. I always got a new idea, but sometimes I forget to finish my old ideas. So I just start a business. You might be like this. A lot of entrepreneurs are like this. You start a business and then you forget to finish it. You get it halfway done. So what I do is I surround myself with people who don't like to do new things. They like to work on old things. So I'll start a business and then after like three months, I get bored, but I hand it over to them and I say, you finish the business. And they love it because they don't like to do new things. There's a lot of people, no matter what your personality is, there's somebody who's the exact opposite. And so when you look at that, becoming the best version of yourself, it's not, this is where I said at the very beginning of this talk that um, I somewhat think people get confused because people think the best version of yourself is just perfection, where you're great at public speaking, you're great at languages, you're always organized, you always finish what you start, you know, you're charismatic, you're all, and I'm like, I'm like, no one, I've never met one person. And I've been lucky enough to meet some very successful people. I just had dinner with Steve Ballmer not too long ago. You know, he's him and Bill Gates started Microsoft with Paul Allen. Or, and so he's worth almost $30 billion. He's one of the richest people in history. Well, he told me a lot of things that are his weaknesses. But it was interesting. For example, Steve Ballmer was very extroverted. But he became business partners with Bill Gates, who was very introverted. And so if you watch like a, a, a conference that they would do together, an annual meeting, Bill Gates would kind of be sitting there quietly thinking and Steve Ballmer would be communicating the message very loudly. So they were – Bill Steve Ballmer didn't say to himself, oh, I have to become like Bill Gates. And Bill Gates didn't try to become like Steve Ballmer. So when you try to become the best version of yourself, be very careful that you don't try to be too many things because – I've never seen somebody do that successfully. And I've seen a lot of people try and burn out. So, um, yeah, that, that's kind of the three or four main points. Do you, I can talk more. Do you guys have any questions? I can, sometimes it's good to open up for questions if you want to, or I can keep talking for a few more minutes. So the question was, what's the best way to find people that are complement your weaknesses? That's actually a great question. So here's my thoughts on that. So let's say you figure out that you're shy and people are extroverted. You, you need some extroverted friends. One, I will tell you this. Just realizing it is 90% of the battle because then it's not as hard as you think. Next time you're at a birthday party, next time you're at a dinner and you notice because awareness of your weaknesses is literally, it's kind of like Alcoholics Anonymous. The first step in the 12-step program for drug recovery, alcohol, you have to, one of the first steps is you have to admit you are an alcoholic. Without the awareness of it, 
you can't solve it. So just by literally 90% of the battle is recognizing your weaknesses and then you'll start to be aware and you'll start to be able to pay attention um, uh, to those people who you can clearly see are your kind of your opposites. Another thing is – I'll give you an example. If you are very shy, okay, let's say, and you wish you were more outgoing because that's a very common one. About 50% of people are naturally shy. And almost all of them that I meet, they don't like that about themselves. There's a thing called Toastmasters. It's a you learn how to do public speaking. Go to one of those meetings. Even if you don't really, if you know, you're shy, just go there because a lot of the people there will be extroverted. So I like to use conferences. You can use meetup.com. There's a lot of meetups. If you just type in a search and just start to go, even when you're you're introverted, it'll be a little bit hard. But you don't have to go there and talk a lot. Just be a wallflower. Just show up and kind of watch. And inevitably, opposites attract. And so kind of like the law of attraction, once you have awareness of it and you put yourself out there, take a little bit of risk, a lot of times the connection will happen very easily. I've seen that. It's not – the hard part is awareness of weaknesses and taking that initial step. A lot of times the universe will reach out and meet you halfway. You do a little bit and it'll do the rest. That's my experience. So the question was, you've got, you and your husband own a business together, a restaurant, and you're thinking of opening a second restaurant and you have a three-year-old also and you're the work-life balance is tough and, be, and partly you think because you don't like to delegate. That is a great question and I would say it's in the top three question entrepreneurs uh, have. It's I got so much on my plate, I can't relax and I can't find anybody to do it with me or for me. So it's interesting. You know, I told you I had dinner with Steve Ballmer. I'll tell you his advice. Here's what Steve Ballmer said to me. It was very interesting because I asked him a similar, not exact question, but somewhat similar. And like I said, he was the CEO of Microsoft, which is now a $500 billion company. And they, you know, it started from a little, little company years ago, some teenagers started. And he, he said, look, Ty, does the business have growth potential? So it sounds like your restaurant business is growing. It has potential to grow. He said, okay, is it going to be easy to find somebody who has the same vision? He said, you got to be very honest. Can you find, so for example, in your case, do you think there's someone out there that has a pretty uh, similar vision for this second restaurant as you do? If the answer is yes, then you just got to patiently search for those people. And you got to know, in my experience, you're going to have to meet and hire temporarily 10 to 20 people to find one, okay? So you just have to, people are give up too easily. They hire one or two people to manage their business. And once you understand it takes, uh, my average is 18. It takes about 18 attempts for one success. So if you go into it with that mentality, you don't get discouraged. If the first person doesn't work out, you go, you just, I like to hire people temporarily. I'll be like, hey, can you come? I need help for a couple days. You hire somebody for a couple days or a week. And then if they're not good, it's not hard to let them go because you hire them temporarily from day one so they don't feel like you misled them. And then I just go through 10 or 20, every 10 or 20 people you, you go through, you find somebody with the same vision. Now, 
Steve Ballmer said to me, Todd, if the answer is no, like you have such a unique vision, such a passion for the restaurant that there's nobody likely out there in the world, he said, then you're going to have to do it yourself. And one of the things he did, and this is very, very interesting, there's actually an interview on YouTube because he's well known for being somebody who actually had good work-life balance. Like he raised kids while managing a $500 billion company. And this is what he said. He said he kept a chart at home. For example, his kids played sports. And he said, you know what? Look, realistically, I'm not going to be able to go to every one of my kids' basketball games. And when my kids are older, they're not going to look back and be mad that I didn't do everything with them like some parents did. But he said, they're going to be mad if I never go to a game. So I kept a simple chart and I forget what it was. I'm just going to make it up. I think he said, I decided I would go to my kid's basketball game twice a month. There's other parents that were going you know, to eight games a month. I would go to two. And he said, that was a balance that I just had to, uh, I just made it up. He just invented and he said, look, my kids are going to get older and they're going to look back and they're going to go, well, dad didn't come to the games. That's awesome. He didn't come to every game and your kids will give you what he felt, and I'm putting kind of words in his mouth, but what I took from what he said was his kids are going to give him a pass. They're going to understand that they had a dad that was one of the most successful business people in the world and he made time. So I guess my advice for work life, if you're the, if it's not realistic that you'll ever be able to find somebody to outsource the work to, and I usually think you can, I think with your restaurant you can, but I would say to you, start hiring managers Hire them quickly and fire them quickly. Just you got to go through a lot of them. And if you go through 20, you'll probably find somebody who's going to alleviate some of the work. But realistically, you're still going to have to be involved. Find a written out plan of uh, just write out a plan. Make it up. There's no perfect answer. Be like, you know what? I'm going to have to have a nanny with my three-year-old. I don't want my kid raised by a nanny 100% of the time. But if 30% of the time is okay... That frees up some time for me to do the business and my kid will probably be okay. For the most part, when you write out a plan and stick to it and adjust it slightly when needed, it works out fine. What doesn't work is when people have no plan and just do it random. So that's that's my best advice, I guess. If you want the chance to enter into one of my free giveaways, here's all you have to do. Number one, subscribe to my podcast. And then secondly, leave an honest review of my podcast. What do you think of it? All right. I pick random reviewers to win either an iPhone 7, a GoPro Black, a MacBook Air, iPad, Kindle. And then I've been doing these uh, once a month free car giveaways, giving away a Mustang or Camaro to one random social media follower. Podcast followers are entered into that too. So You'll get your free chance to enter. Just leave an honest review and make sure you subscribe to my podcast. All right. I hope you win one of the giveaways. Talk to you soon. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast in iTunes or wherever it is you like to listen so that you don't miss out on any new episodes as they come out.